The following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Call me Snake. This <laughs> fucking ridiculous. He's going to uh, have to edit the shit out of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he better not. Brad, you better leave all that crap in. <laughs> Especially the, the, the base level we sunk to in minute 69. You, you are way overestimating how much I give a shit about the uh, content as long as it starts and stops at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever the fuck you want. Oh my god. <laughs> Welcome back to Escape from New York Minute, where we celebrate and analyze the dystopian classic one minute at a time. I'm Eric Deutsch. And I'm Molly Balin. And joining us one last time before we give her parole, C.S. Farrelly, the author of the novel The Shepherd's Calculus. It's great to be back. I'm sort of sad that we're coming to the end of our time together. Yes, you will be the first prisoner ever to be allowed to leave Manhattan prison. (laughs) Uh, we're in minute 72 now, and this starts out with Snake being brought to, it turns out, a boxing ring, and it ends with Slag soaking up the attention of his adoring fans. So this, as we now can reveal, that we had a little, we ended last minute right before we were going to see where Snake's being brought in, and as we see, it's his giant hall with a boxing ring in the middle, and the location of what this is supposed to be I think is very ripe for discussion because in the draft script, it's specifically named as this being Madison square garden. But the time the shooting script, however, the location of this scene had been moved to grand central station. Now the actual filming here obviously does not remotely resemble Madison square garden. It's obviously way too small and there's no, Nothing about it at all that, that says Madison Square Garden. But the arches in the wall kind of, sort of, could pass for being in Grand Central Station. And the scene is filmed in Union Station's Grand Hall in St. Louis. And this is part of the same location where the outdoor train yards were filmed. So it was indeed a train station. Uh, the location, incidentally, now is part of a Doubletree Hotel. So... <laughs> I'm wondering if they chose this specific hall because you kind of, sort of, could squint your eyes and make it into being Grand Central Station, which is what the shooting script called for. Yeah, it definitely looks like it could be Grand Central. I mean, up until, I think, probably about 10 years ago, they hadn't cleaned the walls of Grand Central or the ceiling, so it still looked pretty grim and dingy uh definitely looked smoky and a little you know sort of outdated so uh the arches and and the people up on the stairs at the top there at either end of grand central they're those stairs so i i think it does work i i initially thought it was grand central when i first watched it and looked a little closer and saw that it wasn't but it's a close enough facsimile yeah and as a kid 
just because you know you're not thinking too much about these things you know new york city boxing as a kid i thought this was supposed to be madison square garden and it wasn't until i was a little older that i was like oh okay yeah this obviously can't possibly be a stand-in for madison square garden you know it's interesting i think if this movie was made now i can see them doing some sort of very grandiose cg stadium style effect with this Mm -hmm. and even though i think this is supposed to you know intimate grand central i do like it it, that it is smaller because it doesn't entirely make sense to me that the entire island would pack in to a stadium to do something because these guys are kind of oh sorry go ahead no 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 finish your thought no i just like everybody's pretty anarchistic so that was my my thought but yeah well it's it's interesting that you said that about the whole island packing in because the script actually says almost every gang in town is here. Oh, interesting. And that's very interesting because it's we've sort of been throwing this idea around at various points throughout here that, you know, we don't really know how much of Manhattan the Duke actually control. He might just control the section of Manhattan where the president's plane happened to crash. And it doesn't necessarily mean he's in charge of the entire prison. And so the implication of almost every gang in town is here basically is confirmation the Duke does not control the entire prison because it means there are other gangs. And so it's almost it turns it into that scene at the beginning of the Warriors where all the gangs come together for a common purpose. Interesting. There's also, I mean, you know, earlier in the movie, you get to see a whole bunch of people showing up at a vaudeville show. So I don't know. It seems like uh, there are a lot of entertainment options in Manhattan. And this isn't a bad one. Honestly, I'd be like, I would totally go to this. I mean, sure. I mean, good God, like you put some moonshine up in there. And some popcorn, you're kind of good to go. I just, like, I know how hard it is just to get people to come over for dinner. So I'm just, like, really impressed with their ability to put an event on with short notice. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. talk about short notice. I mean, yeah. <laughs> if, if almost every gang is there, that means one of two things. Either this is a regular occurrence and that almost every gang goes to, or they somehow got word around the island really fast we've got president we've got this famous prisoner and we're putting him in the main event you know everybody quickly get down here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it, you're probably right it's actually something that probably takes place like regular entertainment and so it was already slated to happen and they just happened to put snake into the lineup yeah because we see them carrying that person off in the previous minute so there had to have been some sort of you know previous battle that they were cleaning up the the body from <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah the un- the undercard yeah <laughs> so here's a here here's some script for you i'm just gonna read this off and uh, anyone who knows who's about to enter this movie just just close your eyes and, p- and picture the beauty of this character entering the screen <laughs> across the ring and other man enters he is the meanest looking man in the world he is slag huge a towering hulk wearing tight incredible muscles powerful a nightmare. And all I can say is, now, I've been saying all along, this movie is dystopian speculative fiction. This guy, this character, is dystopian fiction. Future dystopian fiction. I'm, I like that description. I think where I lose it slightly is the, the dream weaver that he seems to have hanging from the front of his <laughs> teeny tiny <laughs> sort of loincloth. Um, <laughs> And the carnival strongman beard. <laughs> That's that feels dystopian in a kind of you know the the carnival clowns of a child's nightmare dystopian, <laughs> uh, but not exactly terrifying. 
because I mean, the thing, his legs look a little, if you only see him from the waist up, he's pretty, he's pretty intimidating. But then when he kind of, it, it's interesting the way he enters the ring, like, you know, Snake kind of heaves himself up and over the the side of it, whereas this guy sort of peels back this gaping maw in the, in the kind of entrance and climbs through the wall into it. So you see his little, little legs and the Dreamweaver. <laughs> <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> it's it's a very i will say i think the description in the script is slightly stronger than the presentation i guess is what i'm trying to say <laughs> i think that's incredible you're like you sir have mild knees and poor presentation <laughs> i'm not impressed <laughs> i'm not impressed with your knees sir <laughs> <laughs> but the beard is amazing the beard and the eyebrows like the, oh. the eyebrows are practically perpendicular to the plane of his face. It's it's pretty it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm having flashbacks to my old Flash Gordon minute with his eyebrows from Emperor Ming. <laughs> you know, I have a note here that says Slag is like Ming's younger brother who owns a biker bar in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> The other thing that that I thought as he he sort of turns around because he's sort of doing that and it is very impressive the way he sort of makes clear like I am Goliath and I'm here to kind of crunch everyone. Um, But for as robust as his beard and eyebrows are, I was not expecting him to have a hairless back. That was a bit of a surprise when he turns because that last shot, you just see his back. And I thought, hmm, that's a very smooth Ah, back. Sort of like he's... You know, like Maggie's manicure in the previous scene, (laughs) where has he been going for his European waxing treatment? Yeah, there are some patches of hair on there. It's not entirely. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's definitely doesn't, his front is definitely significantly more hirsute than uh, (laughs) his back is, but he's not fully smooth back there. I think the wax job may be from be about a couple of weeks prior and it's starting to show again. (laughs) But you know what's interesting? I had a similar thought. I had an expectation or a fear that when he would turn around, it would be crazy hairy back there. And it (laughs) wasn't. I don't know what that was. I had this like emotional anticipation. So uh, who knows? Not a full hair shirt. Not a full Uh hair shirt. So this actor is Ox Baker. And of course his name is Ox. <laughs> and uh, his real name, Douglas Baker Sr., and this guy's got some history. He was a pro wrestler, big surprise there, uh, mostly in the 60s and 70s, and he was 6'5", 340 pounds. Sometimes he wrestled as the Arkansas Ox, and in 2013, at the age of 79, he took part in a battle royale. Damn. Wow. There were two and, things that I found to be very yeah. interesting about him. Um, he was once a contestant on The Price is Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a wiener dog named Brindle. Brindle? <laughs> Brindle, yes. I don't know what that means. So who wanted to be the person to tell him that he didn't guess the price correctly? That's what I, <laughs> I want to know. Was there a writer in the host's contract that, that said if you were injured on the job by telling Ox Baker that he didn't win? <laughs> this is what you get for it. I just hope that he had that facial hair still, like, on The Price is Right. Like, I cannot imagine. That must have been so... I mean, The Price is Right is pretty entertaining, but I think that would have just, like, taken it up a notch. And I think it's just great that, as a person, he was like, let's do this. Let's let's try out for The Price is Right. It just totally cracks me up. I mean, I, I would have loved to have seen Bob Barker interact with him. Oh, yeah. Um, more Ox Baker facts, because that, that if that stuff wasn't interesting enough, Twice after wrestling him, two different people died 
1971, he wrestled someone named Albert Torres, and he died three days after being hurt in their match. It was called a ruptured appendix. However, Ox's finishing move was called the heart punch and eventually changed it to the hurt punch. And his catchphrase indeed was, I love to hurt people. <laughs> Some people blamed the heart punch on Albert Torres's death, saying it was bullshit that it was a ruptured appendix. Then just a year later in 1972, a poor man named Ray Gunkel died in the locker room immediately after the match because Baker had caused a huge bruise that created a blood clot. The blood clot broke off and gave Ray Gunkel a heart attack. That's so random and crazy. And I just like, I have to one. I mean, you know, I, I suppose you go to therapy and you deal with that and you move on. But like, that's kind of an intense thing because, you know, it's it's entertainment. Yeah. Did he ever speak publicly about how he felt about it? Uh, I mean, I, I, he's, he worked it into his act. They, they, mm. they started including like when he would be introduced, you know, into future matches, you know, you know, he's he's killed two men. Jeez. Uh, so I, I sound, kind of sounds like he didn't care. You just make lemonade out of it, people. <laughs> you make a marketing opportunity. Yeah. I mean, he uh, he would wear T-shirts to the ring saying, uh, you know, the, the, t- the T-shirt would say, the great heart puncher. That shit would never happen today. I was no. just thinking he would get sued into oblivion by the families. <laughs> he really God. would. Yeah. He, he would have gotten called out for that. Oh, the <laughs> 70s. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a note about the filming of the movie he you talked about cs him getting into the ring he actually cut his leg during one of the takes getting into the ring and jordan carpenter asked him if that hurts and ox said does what hurt i wonder how many times they had to shoot that i mean i could have seen him i could you know this is a big guy maybe a difficult center of gravity i could see him wiping out a couple of times trying to do that definitely Maybe that's even why they had to have these two extras come in and help hold the thing open for him. He just couldn't do it on his own. Mm, yeah. And they're his waxers, too. So <laughs> Personal waxers. I know. We'll, we'll get to that in the credits later. This dude has got such epic facial hair. Like, I just have to wonder, like, how he made that choice for himself. It really does look like a 1920s traveling circus. Uh, oh, for sure. It's, it's pretty good. I mean, it's a little, it's a little dark. Uh, it has a, a bit of the sort of just for men um, kind of spray, the spray into it. Yeah, because um, his arm, his his arm hair doesn't seem quite quite like that, uh, but it works. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it definitely makes him look more sinister. If it was, you know, like blonde or something, I think he could probably do a red. You know, like a ginger thing. I guess maybe that would have like a maybe a Highland Scottish thing that's a little different, like flavor. But I think that yeah, the the classic trope of having you know the black beard is is well in effect here. Although I do like the whole dream catcher thing. It's all total dream catcher. <laughs> the, the jock dream catcher that we're seeing here is pretty sweet. <laughs> so the question is, you know, because you get that that moment when Snake sort of lands and he he looks around very very slowly as though he's sort of in in uh sort of purposeful slow motion looking around him who's who's sort of accoutrements or more bad badass snake's eye patch or slag's beard i mean if you you, i can look at it this way if you're walking down a dark alley at night and you see someone wearing that eye patch or you see someone with that beard i know which one i'm running away from the beard. Mm. 
Is it just because the other person can't see that well? And I was going to like, say, <laughs> distinct advantage with one of them that you don't have with the other. Like, fuck it, he doesn't have any depth perception. <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved to see a movie, a buddy movie with these two characters in it. <laughs> like, like an 80s Hobbs and Shaw. I think that would have been so fucking epic. <laughs> Wait, what was that movie? Um it was it was it was a tango and cash yes see yeah definitely thinking definitely thinking tango and cash more oh genius so genius <laughs> <laughs> we see a special little uh bracelet watch thing on him yes, here too he is wearing the clock wristband somehow it has migrated from snake's wrist to ox's wrist i i wonder if that will become an important plot point within the next few minutes, Molly. I wonder. It seems like it might be. <laughs> you know, it seems like we're slightly drawing some attention to, if you're paying attention, folks. Yeah. Yep, the camera is definitely highlighting that. Absolutely. When you said he's he's wearing, when you started to say he's wearing the watch band, I thought you were going to finish that statement with, he's wearing the latest fashion style from the season 2019. No. <laughs> I wasn't oh, sure. Oh my gosh. For the latest Apple iWatch. <laughs> oh my god. If only I would get an Apple iWatch if they looked that badass. I might <laughs> actually still buy one of those. They, there's a company that makes replicas of that. For like, I think it was like two hundred, three hundred dollars, and it's yeah. freaking sweet, dude. I mean, the fashion in in this movie, and in particular in the scene, is pretty good for them existing, sort of in the dregs of society. I mean, snakes, snakes' pants are pretty pretty nice, and then the guys dangling kind of half off the balcony with the Duke are wearing some really plush, nice uh, Robin Hood boots, kind of thing. <laughs> so someone is making a killing on uh, providing the wardrobe for these people. <laughs> oh, for sure. We know it's not brain. No. I do oh. appreciate the, the cleanliness of Snake's pants, but I guess he's been laying down for a while, so maybe <laughs> that's... He hasn't been really doing anything, but I would think that he'd be messed up a little bit. I kept watching the whole way through to... And it's just kind of a thing that I... I seize on when I'm watching something to make sure that Snake was limping with the same leg consistently the whole way through. <laughs> so, oh, that would be bad if he forgot during one of the shots, and then and then that they left it in. <laughs> oh yeah, and it looks like they, you know, it looks like at some point they wrapped something around his leg for the injury because when he first enters the ring, you see it dangling off his leg when he he flies over. Uh, unless that's just another Pat Benatar sort of decoration or his own version of the Dreamweaver. I'm not sure what. <laughs> it is interesting that they were like, hey, let's just like Macho Man Randy Savage this for you. Like, we're not going <laughs> to properly dress your wound. Not like they give a shit a lot, but they sort of gave a shit because they wrapped it up. They're like, well, we don't really want you to bleed out because we do want the entertainment. So, Well, that's the thing. They got to keep him alive. They, they, they want this fight. Yeah. Well, cool, guys. Do you have any other thoughts on this particular minute or the minutes prior? My only thought left on this minute is, damn it, Molly, for the second time, we missed out on adding another to our count of dialogueless minutes based solely on general crowd noise. Uh... Only all these people weren't cheering and booing and screaming. We could have had another one. We actually haven't had one in a while. We came so close. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you can't quite call it if people are, like, jeering, you know? It has to be silent. Yeah, silent. it's gotta be silent. So help me understand, I, I need to get caught up on that tradition. So uh, we've had, 
Oh, sorry. Go, you, no, no, go ahead, Eric. No, no, no. You go ahead. Uh, we just we we were keeping track of. There are some really significant stretches in this movie where nobody talks, and we wanted to see <laughs> how many of our self-contained minutes can we get through an entire minute with no dialogue. And we've actually had five of them so far, but it's been a it's been a while. All five of those happened in the first forty minutes of the movie, though, so it's been a long time. And there was one minute recently, and I can't remember which one it was, where at like second fifty-eight, somebody kind of was like, "Huh." Or something like that, and it ruined the whole chance to keep that as our next minute. And now this one, there's no actual dialogue, but you do hear voices, of course. So I, I just I can't bring myself to count this as a no dialogue minute. I get it. So one more time, CS, let people know where they can find you and your writing out in the interwebs. Sure, I have an author website at csfairly.com and has information on the book and where you can buy it and different author events coming up. I uh, also have an author webpage on Facebook and a Twitter account. And they can also go to the publisher website, which is cabinbridgepress.com. Sweet. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us this week. It has been a blast. Thank you. Yes. I've had a great time. <laughs> as have we. As have we. So everybody go check out CS Book. It's awesome. And if you are in the East Coast area and she's doing a reading, go check her out as well. And you can follow us here, Twitter, NY Minute Pod, also Facebook, Brains Library, the Escape from New York Minute Hangout. And I want to give a little gratitude shout out to our pod fathers, Pete and Alex of Star Wars Minute, who helped pioneer the movies by minutes format of which this very podcast is based. And with that, be on time, stay out of the sewers, and we'll meet you on the other side of the wall. <laughs>